Well, while I'm getting set up, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going to be in that passage right there in a couple places. Um, and excited about this week's message in our series on identity. Um, we are coming up, this is just the second week, and um, thinking through who we are in Christ. And this is especially uh, about us together as the church. Um, so this morning is going to be a, a message in which we address specifically the, the connection between who we are in Christ once we come to faith in Him and how we're related to the church. Uh, last week, we saw uh, out of Ephesians that we are blessed as saints of God uh, in, in the heavenly places in Christ. We're blessed in every way with every spiritual blessing in Him. And that's an important piece because we've got to be in Christ. And I appreciate Steve sharing those thoughts this morning to start the message uh, the, or the worship this morning, the service, that, that we would be focused in in that capacity. This morning, too, I just want to say this about our worship. Um, Perry, uh, as you've been looking at how, where'd you go? He's gone. He left, Elvis left the building. Um, so, one of the things that, that Perry did in, in looking at the, the songs and structuring them this morning, he, he gathered some of the thoughts. And I would encourage you to do this this week especially. You can go back on Facebook. Um, you can connect through our website. Mallory, is there another way? Um, those two ways. Vimeo, that's, that's connected through the website pretty much. Um, but I would encourage you to do this. Go back and look at how, like, like the, the structure of the songs this morning. Go, go grab those because there's some key concepts in those that really relate to what we're talking about. So as he was singing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, um, the, the hook line in this is His Kingdom is Forever. That's kind of this modern chorus that's been added to that. This morning, what we're going to be talking about in, out of 1 Peter is this idea that we are a, a royal priesthood. The, the word royal actually means a kingdom of, of priests, okay? And so when we think about God's kingdom reigning forever, as believers, we enter into that eternal kingdom. That is an incredible truth that, that reminds us of our identity. The second thing, um, Perry was, did this song, His Mercy is More, by, I think, a City of Light, um, if I'm remembering correctly. Great group out of Australia um, that, that I would really encourage you to listen to more of their m music. Um, but that song especially uh, is, is thinking about the struggle that we have with sin, but God's mercy is always more. And we're going to read in, in 1 Peter 2.10 this morning, and we'll get there in just a minute. But, but it's a reminiscent of some of the Old Testament passages that, that where uh, there were children, I think it was born to Hosea, where they were without mercy, but they have been given mercy. Um, and, and so there's this picture there. So I would really encourage you to go back and, and look at these things. Um, because we're not just putting a service together for the sake of, hey, here's what we do. These things are very intentional. And what we're seeing and sensing is God is doing something very specific. Perry's back in the building. Way to go. I was just talking about all the worship stuff. You missed it. You'll have to go back and listen to the podcast now. Um, so let's, let's begin by reading in 1 Peter 1. And I just want to read the, the first verse there. Um, and Actually, I'll read verses 2. And then we're going to jump over to, to the second chapter, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, there's a reason that I read that passage, and we're going to move on just real quickly here in a second, so hang on. There's a reason that I read that passage, and that reason is this. You need to notice that, that who the audience, the who to Peter uh, is writing. He is writing to the elect and exiles. Now, those terms both occur in the plural, but here's the important part about those uh, terms. Those are representative of the church. So this is not like he's writing to, like Paul writing to Timothy. It's not a singular uh, person as the audience. This is a letter to the church at large, okay? Now, we need to have that context because as you continue to read Peter and we continue to unpack the things this morning, we need to keep that in the, the forefront of our minds, not just the back of our minds, because this letter is intended to be read and uh, taught to the churches. Now, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, dealing with our identity in Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, let me give you just a quick overview of this passage to start with. There's four terms in verse 9 that we're going to unpack a little bit at some level this morning. One in particular that I'm going to unpack it a, a lot and really drill down into. But of those four terms, we, we look at them and see a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Each of those also occurs in the plural. Now that's really important. Because I think a lot of times we look at those things and think, oh, that's just about me. No, Paul, Peter is writing specifically to the church and describing who the church is as a whole. So, so the, typically it's kind of like two nouns that one of those nouns acts as, as kind of an adjective. So let's, let's begin to look at these, these truths, okay? So um, first of all, a chosen race. This is a very interesting phrase, because in that time when Peter was writing to the, to the church, one of the things that would have been most common, especially for a, an audience that contained predominantly Jews, Jews that were in exile, they would have been considered as of one of two races, okay? They would have been either Jewish or they would have been what? Gentile. Y'all got it, right? But here's what Peter's saying. It's not just one of those. You are a new race, a chosen race in Christ. Now, now you, you got to think about that for just a minute. That means everything that Peter's saying brings a distinction to his audience. It, it's not Jew or Gentile. It's new in Christ. You are the church. You audience are a unique people group set apart from everybody else with a very unique purpose. Whew, I don't know about you, 
But that makes me excited because it, it, it totally reminds me that the old person and all the things that I struggled with before I came to Christ are done away with. And now it's not about that difference in race, uh, a Jew, Gentile. It's about me being in Christ. That's why last week's message was so important out of Ephesians 1, that we are saints in Christ. Who we are in Christ is essential. And now we are in Christ, a chosen race, totally different. We ought to act different. We ought to think differently. Our worldview ought to be different. Our, everything about our priorities ought to be different because we are of a new group entirely. And that new group is called the church. We are the body of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Totally new. So simple truth, but very, very profound. Okay. Now, let's look at the next term. He says that you are a royal priesthood. That's how the ESV translated. Some other translations translate it as a kingdom of priest. Now, this is where we're going to really drill down, okay? Um, when you think about the priest in the Old Testament, the priest would have definite royal duties to entertain the Lord, if you will. Everything that they did was to mediate worship between the people and the Lord. So they were actually trying to, to engage with the Lord in a walk of holiness to present offerings and sacrifices so that the Lord would be pleased with the people. And here the Lord, uh, Peter, has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to take that same concept and show how we are now, as believers in Christ, called to this same idea of being a royal priesthood. Now, let me um, give you a couple of things historically. Has, has anybody ever studied Baptist history at any kind of level? Gina, jump up and down. Beverly, you have. Okay, cool. Greg, that doesn't surprise me with some of your Lifeway background. You probably had to do it. Nobody else? Uh, Eric, you have? Okay, some of you guys have. Okay, so good. Um, Kevin, Eric, good to know. Um, Steve, did you raise your hand? I missed you. You're shadowed in the hat. Take the hat off and make... Say, say, you, you, you took it once in college, twice. Failed it the first time. You had Baptist history at Cedarville, really? That's I, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, okay. So I'm thinking Southern Baptist life. That's why Cedarville's not Southern Baptist. Okay, good. So you know some things. Just he said, just admittedly, just a few. Um, no, so here's here's what I want to, to share about this. This idea of priesthood of believers is, has been a very actually controversial thing in Southern Baptist life. It actually led, it, do y'all know anything about conventions and all that kind of stuff? So every year during the summer, Southern Baptist has, has a convention where church messengers come together and they, they vote and do all these things. It's, it's stuff that I'm interested in one sense, but a lot of times I'm like, I don't care a thing about it. Um, but this one piqued my interest or piqued my interest just a little bit because of what happened on this topic of the royal priesthood of believers. And so the, the church actually, um, or the, the convention actually became quite divided over this issue. I think it was back in 78, um, 1978. And so it just, it's, it's interesting. But all that to say this, what the, the issue boils down to is how you view the priesthood of believers. Now, most of the time when we say that term, we say it this way, the priesthood of the believer, right? And unfortunately, that's not accurate, okay? And so I want to try to correct this like malformed 
understanding of what priesthood really means this morning and how it impacts us. Because what the scriptures show is that we are a kingdom of priests, plural. Okay, I've already mentioned that. So what Peter's doing, contextually, he's writing to the church. He's writing to uh, believers, yes, but they are, he's dealing with us collectively. And so are we individually priests? Yes. But how is that priesthood actually borne out? It's borne out collectively as we serve one another. So here's, here's what I, I want us to, to make sure that we get. When you think about the role of Jesus as uh, a prophet, priest, and king, okay, that, that's how Christ came to us. Prophetic uh, in one sense because he speaks the word. As the king, he is the ruler. As the priest, he is the one mediating on our behalf. And, and where the priesthood of believers comes in is there's this formative idea based on who Christ is that we would model and imitate that, but in a different sense because we're not totally Christ. But as uh, priests in, in the kingdom, we have a responsibility to do three things too. We are to uh, proclaim the truth. That would be that prophetic idea. Okay. We are to worship which is what we do. That's, that's how we reflect our uh, honor to God for who he is. And then we are to also obey. Okay, so, so when we model Jesus as the prophet, priest, and king, we proclaim worship and obey. A king would do what? I, I struggled with that little idea of obedience for a minute. And, and I was like, oh, a king would set the laws and the rules of the land to be observed. Well, in our obedience, we come along with those same laws on who we are in Christ, and we are to obey the, the things that Christ has commanded us, which especially, we, we've just left that series in 1 Corinthians uh, 13 that talked about love, and we often mention the great commandment, which is to what? Two things. Love the Lord our God, and then love our neighbor as ourself. That major focus of obedience, right? And so that's also reflected in our worship and then in our proclamation of the truth that as we do those things. So I thought, man, that is a really cool way to look at, at this idea of who we are as that royal priesthood of believers, okay? Now, here's the rub, though. And this is what divided the, the Southern Baptist Convention at, at some level back years ago. That formative view was not the only view that was on the, the table in discussion. There was also a fragmentary view, as someone has described it, which basically looks at the, the view of the priesthood of the believer and says, we have individual rights. We have this ability to make these decisions on our own. And it, it kind of takes this idea of what I've often wrestled with as we as American Christ, Christians, and I'm putting it in that order very specifically, Okay, as American Christians, we think that we have this incredibly great thing called free will. We are self-determined. We have our independence and rights and privileges instead of being involved collectively in the body of Christ. And so as American Christians, we elevate those things over who we are in Christ rightly as what I would say is Christians first than Americans. And so there was this partial pro process that, that got these things that should be held in good tension, but it reversed the order on them. Does that make sense? So when we talk, unfortunately, the, the, the dialogue has been the priesthood of the believer. So, so do you hear the difference now and see the, the comparison? The priesthood of the believer says, hey, I'm individually responsible in these ways to live out my life. 
Whereas the priesthood of believers says we come together corporately as a church and rightly relate to one another as a church where our priesthood is fleshed out together. Does, does that make sense? And, and I'm going to give you a, a couple more things here. So um, hopefully this will help a little bit more. I think uh, this quote will, will maybe make a big difference. Listen to what Timothy George uh, said. He, he was a leading uh, Baptist scholar. He was at Beeson. Gina, was he there when you were there? Okay. I, I, I don't follow him all that carefully, but I, he's a, a good thinker, a good writer. Um, so here's what he said. The doctrine does not point to the only, I'm sorry, to the lonely, isolated seeker of truth, making private judgments as, each, as if each of us is his or her own priest. You hear what he's saying? He's saying we, we don't just get alone and isolated in this and we get to make our own decisions, okay? As if I'm the only priest. He says, it points to a congregation of faithful believers United in a common confession, working as priests, now get this, working as priests to each other. It's not the priesthood of the believer, it's the priesthood of believers, plural. It's less about our individual status and more about our service to one another. I love this, another commentator, he, he said this, the text denotes a body because the word translated royal could also be translated as kingdom. So, so I hope what you're seeing is the tendency in our culture has been to focus on the individual. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that we, in our identity, are identified with and through the body of Christ. So let me, let me give you um, this idea. First, and I, I want you to catch these things because I think this is a very practical implication of this. First, we are never out of God's presence. As a priest, yes, we're called individually. When, when we come to salvation, yes, that happens individually. But we are never out of God's presence. And so we need to remember that consistently. And the second implication is this. We don't have to wait for someone else to tell us what to do in ministry. See, if we've been called to the priesthood of believers, and we're to serve one another rightly, I don't need to wait on my spouse. I don't have to wait on Katie to tell me what to do or how I should do ministry. I'm responsible to immediately minister to her or to my children, teens especially. If you're a teenager in here, I want you to hear this. One of the goals for us in our church, is, it was this goal for me and, and, and Katie, or Katie and myself, in raising our children, is that we wanted them to possess their own faith. It was not the faith of mom and dad. Teens, we want you to possess your own faith. And we don't want you to have to wait on your parents to be obedient. Because here's the thing, and I hate to say this, parents, but sometimes we get out of line with God. And we can hinder our children's walks. Been there, done that. And we want them to know the word of God well enough that they live responsibly as believers in a right relationship to the church. Because that's where ministry happens. Now, you, again, you might be thinking, how does this all deal with our identity? Well, it happens because we are in Christ, okay? And, and there's going to be a term, Steve and I were talking about this very thing this morning, um, and it's, it's a term that is 
secular in one sense because it's, it's not biblical, but though I think we bring it in to, to understand biblical concepts and it's applied appropriately, okay? Just like we talk about the Trinity, okay? The, the word Trinity is not a biblical term, but when we look at it, it's applied appropriately and we, it makes sense, okay, as we develop the doctrine of, of who God is. Now, this term deals with us in relationship to one another, and that is the term office, Okay? We employ the term office in terms of our church life and how we operate together. Now, if I talked about office with, with you guys in our church, what would you say are the offices of the church? Y'all can shout back. Elders? Okay. Gina, you've been reading ahead. So, uh, and, and deacons, okay. Would y'all have said Members? Probably not. Gina proofs my papers for seminars. So she's got a tip on this stuff from my paper, okay, that she's been editing. Um, the, the truth is, the offices of the church are really elders and members, and deacons might be. We're, we're wrestling through some of those things with, with that. But, but I can easily say that membership is an office. Now, we don't often think about it like that, do we? And I think in some ways, especially in the context of the Grove Church, because we are an elder-ruled church, okay, that, that elders tend to, to take that charge and lead in, in the government process, and we're, we're wrestling through some of those things to, to see how we might need to actually make some corrections, and we're going to look at that in coming weeks. But here's the thing. I think we've minimized the role of, of membership as an office. Now, a lot of Baptist churches, especially Southern Baptist churches, overemphasize the, the role of membership in office. And I don't think they hold the, the, the office of elder in a good balance and how those things work together. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to really reconcile how these offices work right so that our church body does the best that we can to honor the Lord in integrity to Scripture so that we together operate as this royal priesthood of believers. Does that make sense? Because if, if we devalue and we misunderstand and we misalign, especially the office of membership, guess what happens? I talked about you don't have to wait on your spouse. Students don't have to wait on their parents. You as members of the church don't have to wait on us elders. Does that make sense? And I think that we've been out of balance with that in some way. And so we're going to be moving through the scriptures to understand how we correct these things rightly so that you are empowered as who you are called to be in Christ, identity in him, so that you minister well as priests to one another. And I don't know about you, but that excites me because I, I want us to be doing this well unto the Lord because you have been gifted with with spiritual gifts presented by the Holy Spirit for ministry in this church and outside of this church. And if we don't get this right, then I think we're sitting on our hands, not operating with those gifts, and we're watching the body almost stay in a, in a bit of a status quo. And, and I don't think that's our hearts as elders, your hearts as members, or our heart collectively as a church. We want to see God doing some incredible things. So, let me, let me build this a little bit more so you can understand, I, I hope, 
kind of what the goal of this message is this morning. When, when you think about a person coming to Christ, here's what, what happens. They are being restored to what was lost in the fall. Because did Adam possess the, the responsibilities, those formative perspectives of, of, of what the royal priesthood looked like? He did, didn't he? Because he was called to proclaim the excellencies of God. He was called to worship as a priest mediator, right? He was also called to what? Obey, right? But he disobeyed. It interrupted his ability to worship and then proclaim the excellencies of God. But when we come to Christ, all of those things that were lost by Adam and Eve in the fall are now being restored to us. And with that restoration comes what? Responsibility. Responsibility to fulfill that call that God is restoring into us because of our identity in Christ. I'm pointing back to the, the logo, hopefully. So it doesn't... Now, now, here's where it gets really important. So salvation occurs for us individually. When we come to faith in Christ, knowing that he sacrificed himself on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin, and that, that by grace through faith, believing in him, we can be redeemed, that happens individually. But here's the key. That never happens in isolation from the church. Do you get that? The church has always been responsible and engaged in sharing the gospel. That's a collective mission that God gave us when Jesus came on earth and before he uh, transcended into heaven. That he was giving us, and we're going to talk about this in weeks to come, this thing called the keys of the kingdom. Okay, that, that in Matthew 16 and 18, he talks about all authority has been given to him, and he's giving that to us that we would make disciples, going and baptizing and teaching them to observe all things. See, the church is responsible for this together. It's not one individual's ministry. So yes, you come to Christ individually, but it's immediately corporately into the body of Christ. So it's, it's uh, interesting. So let me, let me throw a graphic up here to kind of give a summary nutshell of where we are so far, okay? So think about this. Salvation occurs, and when salvation occurs, it creates an office. What is the office? We're all royal priests, okay? As, and part of the royal priesthood of believers. Now, what happens as a result of the creating the office, it's publicly identified and given expression by the church. Does that make sense? That if we don't have the church, there's no expression of the office. Because we're not called to do this individually. When we are, when we are saved, what do we immediately become part of? The body of Christ. And the body of Christ is, is yes, in a, it's a, in a sense universal. But where does it take a local visible expression? In the local church. As a body of believers comes together and they say, we're in covenant membership, we're going to exercise leadership together. Do you, by, by the way, uh, this, is, this is not me trying to say job security, it's me trying to, to be biblical, okay? Church always had leadership. 
the church always had leadership. There's always a model and multiplication of leadership. Men, that's why we're so intent as elders on saying, we need you to be part of mentoring men on the importance of elders and deacons in our church so that we can continue to multiply membership, I mean, um, leadership, multiply leadership. Because without that multiplication of leadership, we will not be successful as a church in honoring the Lord. Yes, Nancy. Yeah, so, so I'm going to repeat this for the Facebook crowd, okay, because you're not on mic, unless you want to come up on a mic. She, Nancy asks, so is this the crux of why uh, a believer can't say, oh, I'm a believer, but I'm isolated from the church. I don't ever gather in community. And I would say, absolutely, absolutely. That's why, and, and I'm going to even go down a little further on this trail, that's why membership in a local church is essential. That, that you can't just say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not really joined to that church because joining that church means that you're involved in the, the covenant of membership, that you're saying, I agree to these principles and values that the, that the believers in that church have locally come together to agree to. That's why leadership is important in that. Has there ever been a church without leadership? Now, I know somebody retires or resigns or whatever. Yeah, that church has a lack of leadership for a season, possibly. That's, I think, one of the dangers of a senior pastor-only church. That's why I believe Paul and, and the, the church was planted with a plurality of elders in, in view, that there would always be leadership in the church at some level. But the, the truth is, there's, there's a responsibility on the members to come together and say, this is what we covenant to do together. And, we, and this is leading into next week's uh, message and actions. We not only agree in covenant, but we also celebrate baptism and the Lord's Supper together as visual reminders of who we are in Christ. And I, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but what is baptism? Baptism is how we enter in the church. It's, it's a, the mark of saying, I identify with Christ publicly an individual, as an individual, but I come into the church body through baptism. And then communion is an ongoing uh, response and Worse, uh, mode of worship that says, I am agreeing with this church in all that they do. Now, we have open communion. You don't have to be a member to have communion because we also think that there's value as a, a believer in general. But those things are, are uh, best happen through membership in the church. Because, and I'm going to put it very bluntly, if you're not in membership, then your responsibility as a priest to one another finds limitations. There's no other way to say that because we have to come together in these senses to say, hey, and we've, we've talked about this in long past, but elders are responsible to shepherd the flock that is among them. Well, if you're not joining the church in membership, then how are you really among that flock? How do you really sit under the teaching and the equipping that the elders are called to? And that's not me saying, hey, look at me. Please don't say that. That, that is an a very sobering responsibility that, that we take on in leadership to say this is our responsibility to teach the word, to shepherd and oversee the, the, the ministry of the church. But it's not for my benefit. It's not for the elder Steve or Dan's benefit. It is for the body to grow so that they would use their gifts effectively. And, and it's essential. It's essential. That, that's what God's word says. And we've got to get these, these things right in our body life. And so my point this morning 
is that as members of the body of Christ universal, the best expression of that locally is through membership so the priesthood of believers is fulfilled as we operate as priests to one another. Steve, have I said anything out of bounds yet? You want to come correct me on anything? <laughs> okay, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Um, so, I, I, I want to bring this to a little bit of a pinnacle here, hopefully. Because that's pretty prophetic. And you guys aren't used to hearing me probably be that prophetic. Okay, and that's cool. Um, but, but there's a time for me to do that. And I think we're entering a season where we need to, to come to grips with some of these things. Because, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to, can I say where we are about constitution bylaws? There's some things I think that are inconsistent. And I think at some point in the near future, we're going to have to come hold those things to a better light of scripture and go, we may need to make some changes. And I'm good with that, okay? If the changes align better biblically, okay? I don't want to just change them for the sake of changing. That is not healthy, okay? And, and I believe this, you, you hear this, that's a, a, our responsibility collectively as officers, if you will, in the church. This is not just a decision for the white ivory tower of Matt's office with Steve and Dan around, okay? And I say that, I'm not the lead elder, I am staff, okay? So my office is here on campus, but it's us doing that together. But that's not our responsibility only. That is us collectively as a body saying, this is who we need to be as the church. This is how those things need to line up so that we minister best as priests to one another. Because when we get this right as best as we can, yes, we're fallible. Yes, we're going to make mistakes. But we can continue to tweak and, and work towards a biblical definition. Because when we get that right, guess what we do better? We proclaim the excellencies of Christ better. And what's our goal? To proclaim the excellencies of Christ. <laughs> Isn't that what Peter said? I mean, am I missing that? Right? Let's go back and look at it. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, again, plural, 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 a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, that's that picture of salvation, that we've been saved, we've been put into this kind of church identity so that we might proclaim his excellencies. Whew. And I'm afraid if we don't get the identity right, then we won't be effective in proclaiming the excellencies. Wouldn't that be a tragic miss? Because I think about often my salvation. And who I was before Christ. Now let's go to verse 10. Once you were not a people. Me. I was not a people. I was a sinner. I was a Gentile. Just by race only. Distant from Christ. And worthy of condemnation and wrath. Not a people. But. Now. You are God's people. Who? That is not a small statement. Now I am Christ. Now I am in Christ. Now I am a, whole, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that's that set apart, different than the world. I am a people for his own possession. Identity, identity, 
So I am a people, God's people. And again, what does it say? It's plural. And then this, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. See, this is, this is the, the rub of who we are in Christ. And it's us engaging with that, yes, individually, but in the church that has always existed, and that kingdom that will reign forever because Christ's body will reign forever because he reigns forever. The church is precious. And I think we downplay the church as American Christians too often, and we say, I don't need the church. I just need my personal relationship with the Lord. No, you can't do that without the church. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. You you can't do it. You've got to be part of the church, and you need to be effective in your priesthood in the church. This is a serious call. It's a serious call. So, what do you do from here? I want to encourage you with a couple things, okay? First, I think there's some of us here today that we need to really consider where we are in membership. That we we need to look and say, am I responding right to what the church is called to be? If you have questions about that, believe me, I've got lots of stuff that I can talk to you about, about what the value of membership really is. Not not just in the, the universal church, but in the local expression you realize it's always been in local expression, and there's defining marks to that local expression. I've gone over them. Leadership, covenant, sacraments, or ordinances for us. Um, so those kind of things, agreement, membership together, those are what we are called to be. So are you a member? Are you resisting that? How are you operating in that membership? Are you fulfilling your calling to be a priest to those around you? See, it's a serious thing. So, so those are the first things that I would call you to consider. Second, maybe you just need to, to rest in who you are in Christ. That maybe you need to go back and, like I suggested early in the message, just review the worship the last couple of weeks in, in light of the, the messages and see how those things are really tying together. Because I think sometimes, I don't know about you, but the Lord's patient with me. He's long-suffering with me. And, and he's, he's, fortunately for me, He doesn't just say, well, you heard it once, you you didn't obey, boom, you're done. Sometimes it takes me simmering. Is anybody else like that? Okay, some of you are. Okay, so maybe you just need to simmer on this stuff. Simmer on it seriously, okay? Don't go over and turn the stove off and go, well, it's simmering because it got warm, and then it drops to room temperature, and then it gets cold. That's gross, okay? Keep it simmering. Do the work. Just go in there and stir the pot a little bit, right? Katie's going, you and your illustrations, I know. So maybe you just need to simmer on this, okay? Maybe this, maybe this is the third group, okay? Maybe you're hearing this and going, you know what, Matt? I've never really understood what it means to be a Christian. But today, just hearing about the, the importance of the body of Christ, coming to faith in Him, you know that you need to consider what a, uh, a b- true belief in Christ as Savior means for you individually so that you could begin this process of church life. Can I just encourage you with this? Don't delay. Don't delay. 
find somebody here that you know today. If you don't know somebody, you know me now enough to go, okay, he's, he's transparent. He'll, he'll be kind to me. He'll be truthful. Find me after the service, and let's talk about what you're, where you are in relationship with Christ and where you are in terms of salvation. And we will counsel you about those things wisely so you can be uh, confident in your relationship with the Lord. Okay? Steve, do you want to come up and follow up with anything? I'm Perry. We're going to move to uh, reprise of the service. You good with that? Okay. Thanks for not walking up with a mic in front. I don't know about you, but that was that was tough. Um, thank you, Matt. Thank you for really working hard at bringing light to Scripture. Um, just in following along with that, you know, one of the things that, that Matt, have I, Matt and I have talked a lot about is the fact that, you know, in, in doing this in community, there's so much the opportunity to come from one angle, and then Matt will come from another angle as, as we work together in, in leadership on this. And the, the beauty of what he said today was just thinking back to the fact that as a priesthood of believers, the, the priests in the Old Testament had roles and responsibilities in caring for the body, okay? As, as priests and ministers, we have specific roles and responsibilities in caring for all of us. That's why membership is not just hanging out, occasionally sitting and warming a pew, sucking up good oxygen that other people could be doing. It's that you are actively engaged in what it is that God has given you to minister and serve in love to one another. That's strengthening the body in Ephesians 4. But look at what it goes on to say at the end of this passage that, that Matt was speaking on. Verse 11 finishes it this way, because this is the other side. Beloved, you, church, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, here's the kicker on this. So not only as the priesthood of the believers, plural, we are ministering in love to one another, but as uh, outward expression of Jesus Christ being his body. Listen to what it says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify God. Church, we are very much on display. Not by what we say, but by how we live as the body of believers. So we are ministering here within to strengthen and encourage and build up and be the church, but we are doing that with a specific purpose to love those that don't yet know Jesus so that when they see the church in action, they go, wow, that's a God thing. Good word today, Matt. I hope that you were encouraged. Again, like Matt said, please go back and dig and study.
And if you have questions about all of this, please come see us. We'd, lo we'd love to talk to you more about it. Would you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, thank you for your saving work. Thank you so much that, that, that you took us as lost, as individuals, and you've brought us into light. You've brought us into community. You've brought us into the household as living stones. We're family. We're body. We're the church. We're here to glorify Jesus Christ. I pray that we would work well at what it is you've called us to do. May we be united. And may we work to glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do, in all that we say, and how we live. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.